This week's podcast is sponsored by our course, Zero to Freedom Through Cashflowing Rentals. Zero to Freedom Through Cashflowing Rentals is a 10-week online course focused on helping physicians and high-income earners go from knowing little to nothing about real estate investing to confidently buying the cashflowing rentals that will allow them to achieve financial freedom and work in medicine or their day jobs on their own terms. Our course is only open to registration twice a year, so be sure to get on the waitlist at semiretiredmd.com and check out the course details on our course landing page. Welcome to the Doctors Building Wealth Podcast, the place where we talk about the strategies, habits, and mindset that separate wealthy docs from those who are not. We're your hosts, Leiti and Kenji. everyone. Today, it's just going to be Kenji and I with you, and we'll be talking about our new short-term rental and short-term rentals in general. So Kenji, maybe you can start out by telling everyone why we decided to get a short-term rental. Yeah, well, it may just be the sign of the times, right? I think there's been a lot of interest, not just in just in general, but also within our groups. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, we focus a lot on long-term rentals, but there's been a lot of talk about short-term rentals and people adding that as part of their portfolio. And so we wanted to get a short-term rental completely independent of that though, because uh, really, you know, we've been we've been interested in finding something for our family, some something that we could use, but also rent it out when we're not using it. So I know basically uh, you, you've been looking for a long time and we've been wanting to get something on the water. So you've been spending a lot of time on Redfin looking for places. Well, actually, in my mind, I really want to have multiple short-term rentals all around the world and have the opportunity to go spend two or three months at all of our different short-term rentals. And I think it's a a future that probably a lot more people are going to be doing rather than just buying a house that you leave empty, you know, that's your vacation home, but you leave it empty eight months a year, because that's not really a great financial decision for a lot of people. But if if you had multiple short-term rentals around the country or the world making you money every single month, and then you could use them yourself, that's kind of my vision for us. And so, yeah, I've spent a lot of time on Redfin and I was looking at it all the time and we were looking for waterfront and we really wanted something fairly close to us. We live in Bellevue, Washington right now. And originally we were thinking we wanted to go to the San Juan Islands. However, we went out for the weekend to check out short-term rentals out there and it took us like, five, six hours to get out there. And we realized, man, this is way too far. And there are so many complications of getting out here in terms of ferries. And then the ferry costs us like $150. So it's going to be expensive. And then when we were out there, we looked at some short-term rentals. And it was really, really seasonal. It was like only in the summer. And so when you did the cash on cash, it just wasn't great because your property is literally sitting empty like six to eight months of the year. Yeah, it's definitely something important you need to think about is seasonality. And uh, ideally, you have a property that is, uh, you can rent all year round, right? So think about a summer rental, a winter rental, you want somewhere that has that range. And what we found out with the San Juan Islands was, not only was it too far, but we also didn't like the seasonality of it. I did want to touch on the distance because I think a lot of people don't think about that. I think the fact that this property is only an hour away from our home makes such a huge difference. It's like it is a difference between, hey, it's Saturday, you want to drive up to the short-term rental and 
you know, and spend the night, let's say, right? And you can just make that decision and go. But if you had a whole ferry and a five-hour journey just to get there, there's no way we would go. Well, I think the other thing is, and we'll talk about this, for the tax benefits, you really need to spend a significant amount of time, at least that first year where you're actually doing a lot of the hands-on work, the, the material participation hours. And for us to have it an hour away allowed us to go really even on a, a Wednesday morning when we had our, t- our morning off together, we were able to drive up there and do things like make sure we got furniture in there or decorated or checked on contractor progress. And so that made it really much easier for us to get in those hours. Yeah, I can't tell you how many times I went there. Uh, Well, we went there together, but also I went there independently just to take care of things like, you know, meeting with the dish person or the, um, or the internet person or mm. meeting with a contractor. Uh, we met our architect there. We, I had to take care of the hot tub one time. There was a problem with the hot tub. So it definitely was uh, made it easier to, to rack up those hours. I guess if it were really far away, I would have racked the hours with the travel time, assuming that an accountant would allow us to include the travel time, but that's a whole nother topic. But but definitely it made it a lot easier to go in, take care of things that came up, meet the furniture delivery guys, meet the contractors, whatever it was, uh, it was an easy trip to go there and back. Okay, so we've talked about why we wanted it for the COVID era, but I think there are two more great reasons why people tend to buy short-term rentals. Well, one of them's tax breaks and one of them's cash flow. So let's start by talking about the tax breaks of short-term rentals. Yeah, we had a conversation uh, with uh, an accountant recently about this, and I really like how they how they couched it. They called it a way for somebody to get a quick win. And what that means is if you're, let's say you're you're working uh, full-time as a W-2 employee and you, you don't have the ability to claim real estate professional status, which is one way to really generate some, some uh, huge tax breaks, sheltering your income. Um, well, if you don't have that status, you can actually use your short-term rental to shelter income. And with this property that we purchased, we're creating over $200,000 in losses to offset our income. And a big part of that are these phantom expenses. They aren't true expenses. Uh, They're called phantom expenses. Uh, And the way we're doing that is with something called bonus depreciation. So a really great way for somebody who doesn't have real estate professional status to get a huge tax break as they're just getting started with real estate investing, you can then use that money from your tax break to fund your next investment. Maybe the next one's a long-term rental. And then you can start to qualify for that real estate professional status. So it's like, it kind of gives you that boost right up front if you're just getting started. So I think it's a really cool way to get a quick win. Yeah. So for all the listeners, you know, we're obviously not CPAs, but we do spend a lot of time talking to different CPAs. So you should check with your accountant or your tax professional on this. But what we've been told by several accountants is if you are doing 100 hours on that property that year, and you're doing more of the work, the material participation than any other person, you can use those losses, like Kenji mentioned, through bonus depreciation. We also generated losses through doing a rehab project. And then we also generate a lot of losses by furnishing it, right? You can use those losses to shelter active income. So 200,000 in losses is going to shelter 200,000 of our income. That saves us over $50,000 in taxes just this year. And the other beautiful thing we did was we actually got Kenji a Tesla Model X, right? Which is for the real estate business. And he's only driving it for the real estate business this year. He's driving it up to the short-term rental every single week doing all this stuff. And that Model X was a 100% bonus depreciation write-off for the year two on the real estate business. So that's really powerful. Yeah. And we should talk about the requirements though, right? There are some requirements uh, 
that you need to meet in order to be able to take advantage of these tax breaks and maybe write off a car for your real estate business. And one of them is that, first of all, you need to materially participate in the short-term rental. And there are actually seven different tests. And so the one that we were using is, uh, it's the third test. And it's, you have to spend 100 hours uh, on the short-term rental, and you have to be the main person kind of doing all the work. You can't have anybody else doing more than you. And so, you know, you can't have a property manager who's doing all the work. You know, when you total up all your hours, you you need to be doing more than, you know, let's say the cleaner or contractor or, you know, property manager, right? And so that's, uh, again, this is something that you should talk to your accountant about. That's the material participation test that we chose. And that's what's going to allow us to then take that money and shelter our income. Yeah. Okay. Then let's talk about cash flow. Because I think that's the triad of it. Yeah. yeah. So not only can you get great tax savings, but if you buy it right, and if you know what you're doing, you do the you do the numbers and you get your numbers correct, then you can choose the right property and generate a lot of cash flow. I mean, we have a uh, one of our students generating thirty percent cash on cash return. What that means is that if she invested a hundred thousand in the short term rental, she's making thirty thousand per year in cash flow, thirty percent cash on cash return. That's a great return on top of the tax savings. And like I said, quick win, right? You can use that money to then fund your next investments. Yeah. And and that cash on cash return is after all expenses. Right. So yeah, if we didn't use a property manager, you know, next year for ours, it actually would be well over 20% cash on cash return. However, we're electing to use a property manager. And the key with property managers with short-term rentals is they're often more expensive. I would say, I want to say almost always more expensive than what you're paying a regular property manager for a long-term rental. And so we're going to be paying our property manager 30%, which is extremely high. But for us, you know, this is where we bought is pretty isolated and getting organizing the cleaner, organizing hot tub maintenance, organize all, all that stuff would be a huge project for us. And we plan to travel a lot less l- next year. So what we're doing is we're self-managing this year, but next year we'll be handing it over to a property manager. Okay. So let's talk about how we found our short-term rental. So I was well, looking on Redfin, yeah, right? <laughs> like every day. Yeah. And you know, it's so funny because we have such a different mindset as real estate investors and then, you know, how the majority of the population works because this property popped up it's waterfront, it's on a river. And it was really reasonably priced compared to everything else I'd been looking at. And I was just like, Kenji, let's just call them and lock it up. Let's just call the agent and tell them we want to buy it and and just put in full price offer. And so when we called the agent, she was like, yeah, you know, we have open houses and blah, blah, blah. And I was just kind of like, can we just lock it up? And it was, you know, the answer was no, it was like, no, you need to come see it and make sure it's actually what you want. So, so it's just like such a different way that we kind of approach properties. It's like, oh, it's great. Let's just get it off the market so nobody else can bid on it. And unfortunately, what happened is, right, there were seven people bidding on this property, right? right? And so the price did go up like almost $100,000, unfortunately, but it was still, the numbers are really great. And again, this is a really part of it is a personal decision to have this property. And so in this case, it wasn't all about the numbers for us. Well, I think that's an important point is that you got to think about, what it is you're buying and what it's going to take to lock it up, right? Or be able to purchase that property. And it's, it is very different for a primary residence. It's different for a long-term rental. And I think it's even different for a short-term rental because it's a little bit of a hybrid. You know, some people 
might live in it, right? So it's an emotional home buyer. So it's kind of like a primary residence in that way. Other people might actually use it as a short-term rental. So it's a bit of a business decision, right? And so if you're making good income from a property, then you can justify a higher price. And I think that's one of the reasons why we could justify that higher price, because when you put it into the cash on cash calculator going up, Actually, I think it was more about $85,000 higher, paying $85,000 more than the, than the asking price, the number still worked, right? And so therefore, for us, you know, we felt comfortable bidding that amount. And also the other thing about this purchase, I should say, is that, you know, the strategy was very different too, because, you know, we got to know the listing agent actually. And we also learned some things about the seller, right? And what they were looking to do. It was a very emotional sale for them, right? They just got a divorce. And so they they really wanted to make sure that they were handing this property off to the right buyers, right? And they wanted somebody who had a family. And so luckily, you know, we just, you know, we kind of played those things up and we really- Yeah, we uh, wrote a letter. We wrote a letter, exactly. We, you know, so again, very different than, you know, our approach with long-term rentals. But uh, again, you you have to figure out what is it that the seller is looking for? What who are they going to sell to, right? And and so that's what we thought through, and uh, and we were fortunate enough to lock it up. Yep. So we've already talked about what what we like about it in in a couple ways. So we liked that it was only an hour away. Yep. That it was on the water. That there was summer and winter use. And actually, it's also was a previous short term rental. So that gave us a lot of confidence that we were going to be able to rent it out. And that also that this this is actually in an HOA in a gated community. And so the fact that this gated community now has allowed short term rentals for years, gave us a lot of confidence that the HOA rules were less likely to change, right? But that was definitely a concern of ours because with an HOA, you don't have complete power all the time, right? And there are a set of rules you have to follow. So one concern for us early on was like, is this HOA going to allow it to be a short-term rental? And what are the odds that the HOA rules are going to change down the road? So that's definitely something we had to think about. And then HOA fees, we had to factor into our cash and cash calculations. Luckily, our HOA fees actually cover all the water for the property, um, and then also the driveway maintenance, which is really, really helpful. This episode is brought to you by Keystone CPA. Are you tired of losing your hard-earned money to taxes each and every year? The truth is that tax savings are not just for the super wealthy. As a real estate investor, you too can take advantage of all the tax saving strategies that are available to help you protect your hard-earned money. Top-selling authors and tax strategists Amanda Hahn and Matt McFarland specialize in tax-saving strategies, especially for real estate investors. Be sure to download the top 10 tax-saving strategies for real estate investors audio today to learn steps that you can take to start saving on taxes and supercharge your pathway to financial freedom. Check out Keystone and their services at keystonecpa.com today. Be sure to download their free audio. It's normally valued at $25 by following this link www.keystonecpa.com slash SRMD. That's K-E-Y-S-T-O-N-E-C-P-A dot com slash S-R-M-D. This episode is brought to you by Dan Peck of Caliber Home Loans. If you're an experienced investor, you'll know just how important it is to have a lender who knows how to work with investors. Now, we've been working with Dan and his team for over five years now, and he's our go-to whenever we need a residential loan for our investment properties. Now, if you're new to investing, you might not know this, but your lender can sometimes be the difference between getting a great deal or completely missing out on it because your lender couldn't close a deal. 
Now, I did want to point out that Dan can help you not only with your investment properties, but also if you're looking to buy a primary residence or vacation home. So the next time you're looking for a residential lender, be sure to email Dan at semiretiredmd at caliberhomeloans.com to get a free consultation. Yeah, I did want to talk about price here because uh, that's a that's something that I think is different than when you're thinking about long-term rentals because you know the the issue with short-term rentals when we were looking let's say in the San Juans and waterfront, you know, all those properties were, you know, well over a million dollars and when you think about the income that you need to generate in order to cash flow, I mean you have to probably generate about 150 to $200,000 for like a $1.5 million property. You know, and and with a short-term rental it's just one unit, right? With a long-term rental, you know, you can get up to 1.5 million, 2 million, 3 million dollars, but you're going to generate more revenue. Uh, there's not a cap on revenue like there is for short-term rental. Short-term rental is just one unit. There's only 365 days a year. There's really only a certain price point that you really can charge every night, right? I mean, it's, it's not infinite, right? Whereas, you know, with a long-term rental, you know, if you go from a 30 unit to a hundred unit, now you have a hundred units generating, you know, rent for you versus 30 units generating rent for you. So the price can go up, right? Because your rents are going to go up, right? Whereas with a short-term rental, I really do think that there's a cap. So one thing that you really got to think about when you're buying a short-term rental is that price point and making sure, you know, if you buy a $1.5 million short-term rental, are you really going to generate the revenue necessary to cash flow on that property? I think that's a really important point. But I want what my point here is that one thing I really liked about this price point was that I knew that we could cash flow on this property uh, because, you know, we had a lot of room for in terms of the price point and, and the revenue that we could generate. Yeah, actually, this brings up a good point. One of Kenji's friends actually owns a lot of short-term rentals in Florida. And when he looks at the cash and cash return, actually some of his smallest units do the best, mm-hmm. right? Not the big fancy ones. Mm-hmm. And I think it's in part because of the vacancy. You know, each night they're going to be rented less frequently. Um, and so actually the cheaper units maybe actually have better cash and cash in that neighborhood. So just something to consider. And this does bring up the point of cash and cash calculators, which we're going to talk about in depth in a little bit. Mm-hmm. Other things that we really liked about this property is the hidden value. Mm-hmm. So let's talk about what we, what we could see that we would be able to tap an increased value of this property. Now, it's not the same as forced appreciation for a big multifamily, right? It's not like you're going to increase the rents and decrease expenses and some investor is going to come along and pay a lot more for that property, we probably will sell it down the road to an emotional investor who wants it as a primary residence, most likely. And they're not going to say, oh, you know, they're making 50000 a year in cash flow versus 100 Like, oh, I'm going to pay that much more for it. But it, there is some element of fixing it up and tapping some of this hidden value that we're going to increase the value of the property to a primary house owner down the road. So what what are we doing? Yeah, let's talk about that. I mean, I, I did want to talk about the forced appreciation because it is different for short-term rentals. And my favorite example is the show Fixer Upper. There was a, an episode where they fixed up a, a house called a shotgun house and you can Google and look it up. But somebody had listed that property. I mean, this property is like literally 200 square feet and they listed it at over a million dollars, but it was because it was on the show. And it was right close to kind of the Magnolia big towers there in, in, in Waco, Texas. And so it was in really good location, but they were listing it based on the income that it was generating. And, you know, long story short, it didn't sell for that amount. And so, you know, I think that generating a lot of income from your short-term rental may increase the price, but I'm, I think that there's not a really great correlation like there is for long-term rental. So there's something for everybody to really think about. 
the things that we could tap on this property uh, again is not it's totally different way of thinking it's not about income but it's about you know making it nicer right like so one of the things that we did was we focused on the kitchen right kitchens are gathering place it's a really important room in the house and so we wanted to make sure that we created a much better gathering place. And so what what, uh, what we did was we actually hired an architect to help us think through what would be a better layout for this kitchen uh, because it was really small, enclosed. You kind of felt trapped. Once you got into this little kitchen, you felt trapped in there. And what, what the architect did was completely open it up and created like a big island, created this flow where you could just walk around the kitchen. People could sit around this huge, nice countertop. And so that was a really nice change. I think that increased the value significantly. Right. And that's something we never would have seen ourselves. Right. I, it just took that special eye because literally I was like, okay, so how do I blow down some walls and go into the laundry room and make the kitchen bigger that way? But I just didn't see the most obvious thing in front of me, which was the easiest, cheapest, you know, didn't require permits like blowing out a wall would have. Honestly, I, there was 150000 worth of a rehab I wanted to do in this property, but we ended up doing everything for about 50000 and just cutting out some of the pieces that didn't make any financial sense to do at this point. Well, we also wanted to get the project done before the end of the year, right? So, so we, we could, could rent it multiple times. Right. So we made sure that we got all of our tax benefits. Correct. Okay. And then we also have a detached garage right. next door, which has the potential to be another unit. So mm-hmm. that's going to be something that we're exploring mm-hmm. going forward. Okay. So let's talk about how we analyzed the deal. So yeah, for long-term rentals, uh, we use something called a cash-on-cash calculator. Uh, And so for the short-term rental, it's very different. There are a lot of different factors compared to long-term rentals. So we had to actually create a new calculator. And uh, and you can actually download the calculator by going to semiretiredmd.com forward slash STR calculator. And so let's talk about the calculator and the differences. So one of the main differences is how to calculate the gross rents. For a short-term rental, uh, what you want to do is you want to take the average nightly rate and multiply it by the occupancy rate, right? What percent of the year is that rental occupied? And that's how you come up with the gross rents. And the process of how do you come up with those numbers, that's also a little bit different. There's not going to be the same resources that you might have with long-term rentals, but there is something called AirDNA that you can use to come up with some estimates. But I think what we found with our property was those estimates were pretty off. Uh, and I think part of the problem is there's not a lot of rentals in the area. Yeah. Our property is way out in the middle of nowhere. Yeah. I think AirDNA would be much better for something like if we were buying a property in Dallas, right? Yeah, or a, downtown a, Seattle. Right. Yeah. That would make a lot more sense. Right. But yeah, for our property, um, compared to what our property managers told us compared to AirDNA, I mean, AirDNA basically said is half right. what our property managers told us that we should be getting for this rental. Yep. And so that's what ended up happening here was, uh, yeah, we went to a property manager who's very knowledgeable, who has a lot of rentals in the area, and they were very confident about their estimates about what they thought we could rent this for. Uh, and so that's what we went with. Um, but as we always do, we, we, you know, we want to be conservative. So what we did was we created a range of occupancy and also nightly rates. And we did a conservative estimate all the way to an aggressive estimate and came up with a range. And what we found was even with the conservative estimate, uh, lowering the occupancy rate and lowering the nightly rate, we found that this was still cash flowing well. And so if we can do even better than that conservative, then we're going to be doing great. So that was really good. And then let's talk about the expenses side of things, because there's a lot of differences there. Well, with short-term rentals, you have a lot of different expenses that you won't have with a long-term rental. These are things like 
you're going to have be responsible for like let's say cable and internet right you might not pay for that with a long term rental you most likely won't pay for that for a long term rental Another one is that we have hot tub maintenance, right? That's another cost that we have. Uh, you also have a lot of taxes, right? Different lodging taxes and different jurisdictions, different cities, different markets will charge additional taxes for short-term rentals, right? It's just a way for the city to make money for the lost revenue that they're not getting from the hotels anymore, right? Because hotels have these taxes and that's how a lot of these cities uh, make money. Well, in order to make up that revenue, they're charging these lodging taxes. And so that's something else that we had to factor in. Yeah, I also wanted to um, make our maintenance a little bit higher than we would have with long-term rentals just because there's so much turnover. And I just imagine there'd be a little bit more damage because of that. And then we also have a septic tank. And so I just wanted to budget in there, you know, pumping it every year. Right. It's, it's just, just again, to be on the conservative side to kind of see the worst case scenario of all the different expenses that we could kind of lay out that would be there potentially. Yeah. And so if you look at the calculator, it's going to have a whole bunch of expenses. Uh, there's another tab in there called an instructions tab where it kind of lays out like, you know, what are we talking about with each line item? So you can kind of look at that and kind of decide, you know, how, you know, what expense to put in what category pretty easily. So, so yeah, so go check that calculator out. Uh, that's what we used for this. And uh, yeah, I think we're going to be doing pretty well with it. Yeah, yeah. Actually, I really want to say also that, you know, what cash and cash should be your target. And and there is a variability of what different people will answer, right? So for us, because we also wanted to use this as a maybe a primary residence down the road, and also we wanted to have the ability to use it ourselves during the year, it wasn't as important for us to hit you know, any specific number like 20% cash on cash return or 30% cash on cash return. Now, if we didn't have that kind of emotional tie to this property, a lot of our students do aim for a higher cash and cash return with short term rentals than they would for long term rentals. Um, and so they may put this target of 20%, for example, and just say, okay, I'm only going to buy short term rentals if they're 20% cash and cash return because the risk is a little bit higher, right? Because it you only have one unit, you know, it's a single family home usually. And also the risk is higher if something like COVID comes and shut down, like you're going to have some vacancy. I mean, we have a friend who has short-term rentals in Hawaii. This has been a very, very tough year for her. Mm -hmm. So, you know, when you have a 32-unit long-term rental, I really believe the risk overall is much lower than having a one-unit short-term rental. So you may want to give yourself that ability to know that you're going to have higher cash and cash return just because you're taking on a little more risk and a little bit more work too. Because again, you know, self-managing this for even for a month and a half is, it's, I mean, it's work for us, right? So, so you have to kind of decide what your target's going to be, but it may be higher than what you would normally expect for a long-term rental. Okay, just a couple other little quick things we wanted to mention. We have kind of told our Facebook groups and shown pictures in our different Facebook groups of all the different steps of our rehab. So if you're really interested in kind of seeing the process of the before and after, you can join semi-retired physicians or semi-retired professionals and check out some of those pictures in there. And then our course is launching very, very soon, or actually it's going to be going on when this podcast come out. And so if you are in our waitlist community, we've put stuff in there as well. Right. And then, the, so one of the questions that we often get from people who are looking into our course is that, you know, hey, will this help me buy a short-term rental? And, you know, the answer is, yeah, absolutely. Yes. I mean, what, what we teach in the course is we really teach you how to, how to fish, right. And how to invest in all types of cash flowing rentals. It doesn't have to just be long-term rentals. Uh, it can be really anything that cash flow. It's like teaching you the foundation of, how to invest, how to evaluate deals, how to make sure that you do the correct deal analysis, 
how to build a team. And again, you can apply this to a short-term rental, long-term rental. You can apply this to things like, like supported living, which we haven't talked about. We should do a future episode on. You can do this for a lot of different types of cash flowing properties, even commercial properties, right? So the answer is absolutely. This will form a strong foundation for you to be able to invest in short-term rentals as well as other types of cash flowing rentals. Yeah, and a lot of our students have long-term rentals and short-term mm-hmm. rentals like we do now. Right. And it's just so cool to watch the transformations and how they help each other. In our membership site, for example, there are several students now who have turned garages into game rooms. Mm-hmm. And like they now have a formula for how to do that. And they're sharing that with each other. It's it's so cool to see like, okay, now we have our garage into game room experts mm-hmm. in the membership site. Okay, well, we hope you really enjoy this kind of journey of our new short-term rental. And I know in the future, maybe in six months or 12 months, we should do an update. Yep. And we can let you know how the cash on cash return is going and what we decide to do with the garage and all those things. All right. Thanks so, for joining us. Thank you. The Doctors Building Wealth podcast provides information only and does not provide any financial, legal, tax, medical, or psychological services or advice. You are responsible for your own financial, physical, mental, and emotional well-being, decisions, choices, actions, and results. You should contact a professional if you have any specific questions about your unique situation.